0: Musical Theater Writer Guy is recorded as a YouTube channel series on Muncie Lenape and Canarsie Lands. The audio from each episode is also released here in podcast form. To watch or to learn more, please find us on YouTube or through my website at michaelraddy.com. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-R-A-D-I dot com. Enjoy the show.
1: What it means when we're told, like, it's showbiz, that's showbiz kid or like the show must go like, like deconstructing those ideologies, especially that showbiz <laughs> and being like, what does that mean? But also more importantly, what is that used to excuse? And when exploring that, um, just emphasizing, and you know, it, it's a long conversation, but it also can be, a you know, if anyone, you know, listens for a second and hears, Hey, being mistreated by people with power, um, under the guise that that's how the industry works is is not okay, and it's not safe, and it's not healthy. Hey
0: everyone, welcome back to the interview series, Writer Real Talk. Um, we have on our uh, uh, as our guest today a writer who I met in 2014. We just figured out at the BMI program, and um, I mean. I adore Preston so much. Like, we just spent, I don't know, 70 minutes chatting before doing this. I promise we're not spent. There's good stuff coming. But uh, there's there's just a lot of wonderful nuggets you're going to hear today, I can guarantee you. So please welcome to the interview process, Preston, Max, Allen. Hi! Oh,
1: Michael, it is a joy to be here. It is absolutely delightful to see you. I love you so much. I'm so
0: glad you're here. I'm so glad that the audience gets to know you if they don't already, which they should. Yeah. They Well, I, but I think they should know who you are.
1: I mean, personally, I'm like,
0: great, know who I am. <laughs> Please, it's like, just know me. Um, But for the audience, just in case, they don't happen to know you. Uh would you would you just like give us a little quick uh hi how are you of who you are, what you do, how you identify as an artist, that sort of
1: thing? Yes. Um I'm Preston. My pronouns are he him and I started out very much in musical theater. Um, I've been working in musical theater professionally for 10 years at this point. (laughs) Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, do book music lyrics for a lot of shows. I do book collaborations. I do music lyric collaborations for a lot of shows. Um, I work with a lot of very fun and wonderful peeps on shows that range from kind of very, like heavy and emotional to like the goofiest parody you can imagine. Um, and then more recently, I started doing some playwriting. And then more recently than that, uh, some TV and film work. So now I have my pause um, at the tips of these industries, not certainly not in any industry. Um, but yeah, but now I work all, you know, across a few mediums and get to choose which is the most fulfilling for the story I want to tell. And um, yeah. yeah, got a lot of wonderful collaborations and met a lot of wonderful people along the way and uh yeah a lot of like I said a lot of what I do is goofy parody you know a lot of horror parody a lot of like horror work in general um but it, then also it, a lot are of, there
0: any pieces that that people might know? Uh,
1: well my main thing that I worked on for so very long uh, is called we are the tigers which is a um horror camp teen drum <laughs> cheerleader slasher um comedy about all of those words uh, about a cheer team having a, a bad night is maybe the, the shortest way i'll say that um it's, you know some some nice pop rock belting going on um yeah that's good
0: out. i saw it off where what theater was it in it was, it was in... in the
1: st marks it was on st mark's. Right, marks theater 80 theater 80 on st marks yeah, um the album true. is now streaming um it's yeah, good, to that listen. Thank you. Uh, that's, that was my long-term baby. And now I do also, alongside that, because I still do a lot of fun stuff that's just kind of easier for me to get my head around. I do a lot of also like discussion and storytelling of trans characters and um, trans stories, be that trans characters who are dealing with the world as a trans person and the specifics of what that means and the issues that cis people <laughs> create for us, or you know, just trans people kind of live in their life having a, having a time being in genre, you know, just being, you know, themselves in whatever story we are telling. So that's, that's the landscape of my work. That's all of that.
0: That's quite a breadth. Um, I, I applaud you for being able to, to wrap your mind around so many different media and to, to go for writing in different genres. I mean, I guess I've written plays, but not like really. Um, I would love to write for TV and film, but it scares me. I think that, that it's awesome that you go for that. Because um, you, you said it's relatively new, is TV film?
1: Yeah. At this moment, I also would love to write for TV. <laughs> um, but yeah, a play of a play of mine had some traction in a television space. And I I worked in a room for an FX show um, briefly and just got to know some really wonderful artists and got to be a part of that process um within the last year. That was on the last year. So hopefully some more of that working on kind of a film outline right now that will hopefully have a future yeah. and very much working. I think the main work I have right now is um working with some production companies on ideas they've had for television shows from various degrees, from like one sentence to like a three-page outline and kind of working with folks on what my version of that would be and what our collaboration would look like. And then Mm -hmm. in three of those processes, well, overall, in in more, but currently in into potentially in some more. Um, I'm I'm the writer that they've gone with, and we're moving forward, and we're trying to pitch those shows and get those into the world. So I re- I enjoy that. I enjoy someone giving me the challenge of like, here's my idea. What would you? How far would you take this? What would your season one look like? Um, I love that. Like yeah, I want to do that with you too. And I'm like oh nice, great.
0: Oh, that sounds like really fun work.
1: It is. It is. Um, you know, you get very passionate and married to you know your stories and they don't always make it. And I've had some experiences, um, especially with queer and trans stories that you get so deep in and the team really believes in. And it's just hard to find ultimately that home. Uh and then you have to say farewell for now. Hopefully never farewell forever, but farewell for now for some of those, for some of those pitches.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, well, as we have seen across the industries, queer and trans stories, it's been a a struggle to get them out there and in ways that we um, want them to be told. So, uh, hopefully this is just the beginning not, not the slog of the middle, just the beginning. And I always say that
1: I hope that other artists are having a more fruitful experience and, Mm. uh, and that I'll get to see art from, from trans and queer storytellers, um, you know, that aren't my stories, but that I'm, that I, I hope are authentic and that they feel good in the spaces they've been creating in and, uh, and we get to see those too. And I do know some of them are out there. I do know some of them are coming.
0: That's great uh if you have recommendations for us please you you can toss them my way and i can share them with the communities so.
1: i will i will share some resources with you i would need to i would need to compile some uh some data <laughs> get people's names right kind of uh make sure i'm doing that in some cases
0: fair enough i love your mug um it's <laughs> halloween it's very important
2: it's I, do, love. The best. I love
0: it and <laughs> the grumpy face um all right so we're gonna start with our, our standard set of questions here as we go through, and then we'll get to our main topic, which will be good stuff. Uh, so, because this is mostly a musical theater sort of chat space, that we do talk about all sorts of things, um, I'm curious to know, is there someone who's musical, uh, a musical theater writer whose work you gravitate toward, not necessarily the most, but you find yourself automatically every time you hear something new has come out from that person or there's a new production of that person's work you're like aha I want to read more
1: that's so complicated because my answer is so different from when I was young um and a lot of what I enjoy. Has become very complicated in terms of my excitement for the future. Um, so some things, some things that I love, I'm going to omit and people can be like, "Oh, I'm, but on Twitter, I know he talks about that musical all the fucking time." <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, when I was when I was younger, a lot of, um, and still, I, I love Stephen Schwartz's work. Um, I got very depressed, like genuinely very depressed when I was 11, because I couldn't be watching Wicked. I wanted to just be in New York seeing Wicked all the time. (laughs) I was like, I should probably work in this business and maybe also have a different mindset (laughs) about about how I approach being in (laughs) multiple spaces. Um, Spring Awakening was a huge one. Um, Tom Kitt's work I really enjoy whenever he's working on something and it's gonna have a fantastic sound. Tons of other artists. that I, uh, you know, if I were to name them all, it would take forever. Robert Kiki, I love Robert Kiki, um, who wrote Lightning Thief and Monster Songs and several other things. Um, A really lovely human, a wonderful collaborator, um, just a a fantastic artist who I was so lucky to intersect with kind of earlier in my career and continue to know. Um, And then last year, I produced a concert of all trans, uh, for the most part, all trans and non-binary musical theater writers and some some cis collaborators who were welcome in this space. Um, And that, you know, revealed to me such an incredible group of people and, you know, too many, you know, those 15 songs in that concert, um, you know, there's still some of that content exists. certainly the press releases so you can go get the names of all the artists from there. I always keep an eye out for what Shakina Nafak is up to, an incredible performer and writer and direct across all facets. Um, Kit Yan and Melissa Lee, um, I always keep up with who did Interstate and are now casting for Misstep. Mm -hmm. Um, Incredible team, doing incredible work. So yeah, those are the folks who are kind of who, who have done some work recently that I'm keeping an eye on, um, who are kind of at the top of my mind. Cause yeah, I've been seeing, I've been seeing some exciting stuff about their development. So I recommend looking out.
0: Heck yeah. What a great answer. That was so That's thorough. It. Thank you.
1: I also genuinely love the musical cats. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I'll say it. <laughs> Thank you for adding that
0: in at the end. I appreciate that. That's... I needed you
1: to know everything else first. <laughs>
0: I mean, I have seen Let's some. Start
1: out like this. Oh no. That's the reaction I get. Okay.
0: Um, I do I do love when you get on social media and talk about cats. It does warm my heart.
1: <laughs> it's this chorus line, but with cats.
0: It's true.
1: It's true. I'm <laughs> doing anything else. Fine. Oh Let them God. just be cats auditioning to die. Um.
0: Ooh. Phrased like that, ouch. But In the you're world, not wrong. they're coming
1: back. Uh, the promised reservoir. Well, we don't know if it's a promised reservoir. We don't see what cats to Grisabella return. <laughs> um, where is that? Well, someone could write it. Forget my emotionally impactful, culturally <laughs> <laughs> impactful Grisabella, too. Honestly, here we oh, are. This oh is good. God. I love it. I love it all.
0: Hey, we we want all facets, all facets of Preston. <laughs> um, okay, so here is a, a two-sided question. So it's got a, an A and a B to it. So the blanket part is, thus far in your career, which you've already said is a decade, so hey, woohoo! <laughs> um, what would you say is your biggest challenge so far? And your greatest success so far, and I I would like you to qualify those however you want to qualify them.
1: Um, what a fantastic segue into what we're talking about today, because it's my it's the same answer for both, and it's like standing up for myself, Oof. valuing myself um, as an artist, and navigating the the sometimes complicated tightrope. And I'm not always perfect at it, but I'm not always good at it. as like ma- making sure. Um, that I am staying as respectful to the people that I'm communicating with as I want to be respected, um, and then going from there. And in terms of what I need out of that space and whether or not I'm receiving what I need back to feel like I can do good art and I can create authentically um, and that I have the tools I need and the collaborators I need to put together a, a good piece. So yeah, I think that has been the biggest challenge because you know, young artists are taught to take what you get um, and I did that for a while and it was not healthy and it did not create a healthy mindset for me. Uh, and when I started to um, really be direct about kind of not adhering to that mindset, uh, you know, that's it's challenging. And I will say I've worked with and met a lot of people who 100% are excited to meet me where I am there.
0: Mm. Um,
1: so that's where I will, that's what I will celebrate in that.
0: Oh, yeah. That's a great answer and yes, very much hitting on the topic. We will dive more into this in <laughs> a hot sec here, but the preview. That I mean that's I think a problem that that so many of us go through, if not everybody, um in various degrees, but boy would I just like to take a moment and celebrate you for feeling that you can put that in your success category. I don't know that I am currently there yet, where I can, and I would just like to take the moment to say that's fantastic. So thank you.
1: It's tough because you know success emotionally can often mean not career wise. Mm -hmm. Um, like removing myself from a space can be it's a different kind of success, and it can be a kind of bittersweet to very bitter (laughs) or very you know just sad kind of experience. But it has been very valuable, and it is very. Reliant on me acknowledging where I am not following through as a collaborator, on me being aware that I, when when some when there is a miscommunication, when something's happening, I need to explore where I need to take responsibility as well, and I need to be open about the fact that I'm not, you know, gonna gonna be navigating everything effortlessly and you know as respectfully as maybe I could have. You know, I miss certain things and bringing that into the conversation with the expectation that other people will as well
0: yeah <laughs> yeah the safety that comes along with that acknowledgement from everybody involved it makes those hard conversations so much easier or better or at least actually productive um but yeah that ownership of okay yeah here's where I could have done better mm-hmm. is so hard and so important
1: i still, still working on it <laughs> Well, are 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 we ever done working on it? I, I... We are not. No, the forever journey of taking responsibility oh. for our work. And...
0: <laughs> Indeed. Oh, mm, mm-hmm. I feel it in my soul. Um, okay, so next question. Um, again, kind of a two-parter, because I want to talk about the macro and the micro as a writer. So let's. Start there. If you want to keep it in musical theater, you can you but you write in different genres as well. So I'd love to know of like your full pieces, which one gives you the most pride at this point in life? And if you if there is a song as well, specifically a song that you feel that way about, I'd love to know that
1: too, yeah. I think that i've I've had such prideful moments in different shows because sometimes you're with you're there with your collaborator and you're watching something and you're like that is what we wanted and we got there together and it was not it was like messy sometimes it wasn't always but here we are and we're watching it and that's just like that's beautiful um i think a big instance of that was working on in 2019 um a musical i write with my writing partner on that jessica kakaska and our wonderful creative team on that um we developed at the chautauqua institution we had 10 days of development just an incredible group of people and it's like a very isolated place uh, where we were just really in it together and it was just really special to watch you know the teamwork um that had gone into that and to see the you know the three we had three performances that were like fairly designed and it was the first time we'd kind of seen it that way and it was just cool to just all be there together and all appreciating the work that um had been put in and yeah and then also I, I I take a lot of it's a complicated relationship with tigers, but I can, I can experience a lot of moments like that where I'm like, like I did my best. I did my best with a group of people that I feel really good about having created with and made some really extraordinary friendships and found some really special connections within that work. Um, A song, I wrote a song called Try that is um, in a musical that is probably never going to happen, which was a hard, you know, separation, realizing a show is not going to move forward. And, you know, you wrote a whole show and you loved it so much and it's just not going to have a life, um, you know, beyond what what your, was on your computer or the couple readings it had. Um, but there's yeah, a song called Try um, that was performed by Lauren Patton in a concert of mine. And I, I, I really like it. I, I really could kind of revisit that and go Listen listen to yourself. <laughs> yeah. Listen to your own advice. <laughs> but also that, that song is very much about how hard it is to keep getting up and keep doing these things that are difficult. Be that, you know, in the in the in that song, the example is, you know, and this isn't quite the level we're getting into today, but in that song, like the the example is, you know, putting your shoes on and leaving the house is kind of oh. the level that they're <laughs> discussing in that song. Um, so it it's sometimes just that that's hard to. To manage, but yeah, that's my. I think that's my. I think that's
2: like my go-to. That was a answer. Those are good answers. They're very good answers.
0: Um, now I want to hear that song. I I've not heard that song, but oh, I I feel like that moment when you hear something you've written, sung, and you just get that vibration of resonance in yourself, it and hopefully in the people around you as well, but, like, having that just, like, oh, okay, this this is doing something in the world that I think I wrote into the piece and now I'm feeling a certain way is just such a wonderful moment to be able
1: to have. Yeah, It is. I mean, also on the flip side of that, the other song that I'm super proud of is in the Rage, Carrie 2. It's called The Legend of Carrie White, and it is just a character's explanation of everything that happened in Carrie via Patterson. And... There's some ah. harmonies I find very delightful. Um, and I'm really proud of that one too. Cause I, I wrote like, that's the song where I listened to it. And I'm like, oh, if someone else had written it, I would have loved it. But like, that's badass. So I'm glad I did. <laughs> that's like the only song I'll say that about. I was like very proud of my Carrie Recap Patter song. I think that, I know I know there are people who like really appreciate Try. I don't know if anyone else appreciates the legend of the way White- <laughs> that I do. But if we don't show up for ourselves, who will? <laughs>
0: There it is. Oh my goodness. Wow. I, I guess, so I haven't heard Carrie too. I think you, you posted maybe one song a couple of years ago on Instagram that I heard. But I, I yeah. haven't really...
1: We haven't heard. videoed in a while. We've got to do some more video of, um, we have a lovely, you know, cast and group in Chicago. We're doing it tomorrow. What? Um, we've already passed. <laughs> we're doing it in the past. Um, we try to do it. This will be the fifth time we're doing that concert. We just try to do it every, I try to do it every Halloween um, in New York or Chicago or wherever, whoever wants to do it. Whoever wants a little spooky 70-minute carry to experience. That sounds delightful. I would love
0: to see it at some point. I will not be traveling to Chicago tomorrow, however.
1: I right, tomorrow hop on that plane. <laughs> Slack it off.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, good, good answers. Very good answers here. Um, all right, one, one more before we dive into our main topic, which is—I know you've already mentioned Wicked. It's fine if we go back to Wicked for a second. But is there a particular show that made? I'll just say that made a, a a big impression on young Preston, but more specifically, if you'd like to, um, made you think, yes, I want to do musical theater.
1: So when the Wicked, Spring Awakening, and Next to Normal era of my life was still kind of in the performancey area era. So, I'm like, mm-hmm. what was it? Where I was like, oh, I want to write because the first musical that I ever staged was a television pilot. What? So. And we put it on stage at my at my theater arts high school. So at that point where I was like, oh, I'm gonna write theater. I was still like, I'm gonna write television by way of musical theater. And then, <laughs> and then just from there realized that I had much more of an ability to stage shows than I did to do film work. So I pivoted completely just by virtue of that. There, well, actually I'm gonna... This is a controversial show. This is actually the very honest answer about me writing musical theater. Um, while I was in college, there was a show called White Noise, a very controversial musical um, that was playing at the Royal George in Chicago. And um, I imagine it was an attempt at a pre-Broadway tryout. Will Be Goldberg was a producer on it. It was a very complicated show that dealt with some themes that... Um, audiences interacted with very differently and used some language that was people were just were not interested in sitting through kind of fundamentally and and I went to that show eight times because it was early in its you know its life and I think that might have been the conclusion of it um just because I, I every night it was different like the entire because it was a it was you know a tryout and I think even long past previews numbers were getting replaced character intentions were changing like character relationships were changing and it was just so interesting every time I like showed up and watched it to see this you know musical that the soundscape of it there was some there was some good music in it um even though the songs were scary it was based it was loosely based on Prussian Blue which was that like girl that young girl duo of like Nazi singers (laughs) um so it was kind of about like what if the music industry tried to hide what they were really singing about to make them popular. Um, played by, oh my God, I want to say Mackenzie Mousy and Aaron Davey. Davies, Davey? I think that was who it was. I have to. Okay. It. Um, it, was a great, it was a great cast. Um, And then it was also very much about two Black artists who were being put into a category that was not authentic to their voice in order to meet the expectations of the industry as it, like their managers felt that Black men needed to be seen to succeed. So some very complicated themes that wow. were just very hard to balance and I enjoyed every time showing up and seeing what happened and how it went and um yeah I, I always am curious about like what happened to that show or what those conversations were like um and that was really formative because I was like oh I want to be and I want to change I I like that we can change things every night I like that mm-hmm. we can explore these like I'm so used to seeing shows when they're done and being able to be like oh it, it it's a living breathing thing. This kind of storytelling was super, super, super formative for me. Um, And I was writing Tigers at the same time. That was my my freshman year of college. And I had started Tigers and was workshopping that in my little way at that point. And I don't know if I would have written Tigers if not for kind of seeing white noise and wanting to be like, oh, I I can do that too. I don't have to get it perfect the first time. I can explore and experiment. Um, Yeah white noise at the royal george for better or worse wow, <laughs> complicated <wow>. piece
0: <laughs> yeah and i've never heard of that piece so this is very interesting for me to hear but also how very cool to have had that experience to go and see a show that is still in progress i, w- I i'm envious i wish i had been able to have that experience
1: it was yeah it was not one of my college courses but my most informative <laughs> experience.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh-huh uh and you went to school for what was your major?
1: Uh, ooh, what was my major? I started out in musical theater performance. Okay. Important to note, you did not have to audition for my school's program at the time. Um, because I was not. I was. I had gotten into USC for screenwriting, and I was thinking about that. But then I got nominated for a performance award for my high school musical, and I was like, the world needs me on stage. Um, so I pivoted <laughs> hard. Um, but yeah. But then the school I went to, Columbia College. Chicago is, like, known for its very, like, DIY kind of find your people and do it yourself, Mm. like, um, ideology, so that was really helpful for me, because now that is what I continue to do, that's how my business works, that's how theater works in a lot of ways, Um, so it set me up successfully for that, but I started out in musical theater performance, and then I dropped that for, um, like, kind of make your own major, there's a very obvious word for that, but I'm not thinking, it starts with an I, I'm not thinking, um, and I had combined it, compound, <laughs> put together um, theater and um, ASL. I, I did ASL for a year and I was really oh, interested wow. in that and interpretation, interpretation for theater. And I saw a lot of shows um, that were interpreted. And the next, my last year of college, it became clear that I could either graduate early. I'd accidentally cleared a year with summer courses to try to like take a semester or do the Disney program, but I'd ac- I I'd cleared a lot and I was able to either graduate a year early um, with, a, with a theater major that was kind of cobbled together out of a bunch of classes I'd taken over the years um, or stay for five years and finish the ASL track. Um, so I, I did choose the three years option and, and left Chicago pretty quickly and um, technically majored in theater acting without ever having ever acted in a theater uh, in college. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. I did a freshman showcase, but that was kind of it. But I did a lot of training in college, through both through my college, through a program, and then after with Second City. So a lot mm-hmm. of what I did was sketch and performance and improv with Second City through the Comedy Studies program. And then I continued into their conservatory for sketch and improv and their musical improv conservatory as well, and then left those kind of halfway through to move to New York and work in musical. My cat is causing chaos in the
2: corner. Hero. <laughs> As she must. Do
3: um,
0: wow, wow. I, I love hearing that story because um, I feel like, oh, there she is.
1: Hero's about that to is. go knock over all of my uh, tiger's <laughs> stuff, my tiger's stuff in the years, which will feel very metaphorical.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we love Hero. She is. We
1: love her more than life itself.
0: So fantastic!
1: Really considering it. She's like, should we do the metaphor? Should we knock all of these off the mantle?
0: It's like, I hear what he's saying. So, join your yoga
1: up? studio, hero. She has a yoga studio. You can't see. She has a yoga studio. Under
0: That's it. cute. <laughs> um, I really love hearing uh about that educational journey because, well, for for many reasons, but I think something we don't talk about enough, especially in our industry, is just um how much of our educations are, like, unofficial, like, yeah. just by the nature of it, like, we we have to take our official education, but then we all learn so much by doing other things, like, going to see white noise eight times, like, that was <laughs> yeah. so informative, you know, I love uh-huh. it. Anyway, shall we talk about our main topic today? Let's do it. Is, is Hero joining us? <laughs>
1: Hero is hero is right here. I she is very involved in this conversation, as she should be. I'm sure she has lots. Yeah, that she's like care. I can offer my comments and concerns. Should you need them, I'll be available <laughs> in the court. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Um, so something we were chatting about before this, before the interview, uh, was uh, which is it's a huge topic, but the idea of taking care of mental health ourselves in the in the room in the processes 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 uh and particularly in educational spaces and what what does that look like what can that look like what what are what are we not doing what should we be doing what there's so much to talk about I don't know where you want to start do do you have an idea
1: I think for me like a a summation is like Breaking down what it means when we especially as young artists, but at any ages is like new art at any even long ingrained in the system, like what it means when we're told like it's showbiz, that's showbiz kid or like the show must go like like deconstructing those ideologies, especially that showbiz kid. <laughs> and being like, what does that mean? But also more importantly, what is that used to excuse and when exploring that? Um, just emphasizing, and you know, it's a long conversation, but it also can be a, you know, if anyone, you know, listens for a second and hears, hey, being mistreated by people with power um, under the guise that that's how the industry works is is not okay, and it's not safe, and it's not healthy. Um, and you, as a young artist even if you choose, you know, judgment-free to take job, you know, well, sometimes, you know, we talk about what does your artistry to this particular story, you know, do you want hitch to your, hitch yourself to this story? And sometimes for financial reasons, you know, it's complicated, but, you know, even if you're navigating that system, even if you're in those positions and you're taking treatment that is complicated, knowing what you actually deserve and knowing that a lot of times, language that's being used at you is not correct. It's not accurate. It's not about who you are. Your worth is not defined by this. Um, that's the sound. That's the soundbite version of, a, of that discussion. But but it's harder to do. In reality, it's harder to do it. It's a constant effort to keep yourself in check and to make sure you're you know you're behaving appropriately. So if you're if you're behaving wildly and then you're like I shouldn't be mistreated while mistreating everyone else, you know that's a different conversation. But yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So here let, let let's start this conversation cuz I don't think it's a stretch to say that the majority of people who might be listening to this who work in the business um or are learning what they need to in order to work in this business have gone through experiences in their education where that's a lot of the type of environment that was presented to us. That idea of here's how it is. So work within that. And so for those who might uh, be experiencing that in educational settings or in professional settings, what would be a, a good starting place for people to start to uh, think through how to protect themselves or how to advocate for themselves?
1: Yeah, I think initially when I started kind of talking about this, because I'll do workshops with educators, and I think it's through doing workshops with educators that I kind of pivoted not away from, but including equally to, you know, be wary of the, be be aware of the treatment you deserve versus the treatment you might be receiving. And then, you know, really think about if that's a space you want to stay in. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: Um,
1: But then also, you know, and teachers should not be abusing you. Teachers should not be, I have a very strong belief that teachers should not be um, asking their students to recount any sort of trauma in class to perform. And then, but also it's alongside saying that, understanding that a lot of teachers also went through that education. Mm -hmm. And so I wanna provide empathy to teachers who are, you know, giving that sort of education because it's what they got, but then exploring, you know, was it healthy? Is this an opportunity for you to break, you know, this cycle of an unhealthy practice that unfortunately affected you? um to different degrees of extremes based on teachers that I've had um you know instead of being well because I went through this you have to go through this too mm-hmm. or because this was the method it's the method I want um you know you know I think it's hard to look back and say wow so much of my life was spent in this practice that that wasn't safe for me and that really put a, a, a dent in my mental health um but being able to explore that instead of push that back um, Is very necessary. Obviously, there are teachers who are wonderful in theater, Um, but I do think that you know a lot of it is if you're not crying, you didn't do the work. If you're not invoking some horrifying memory to get through this (laughs) scene in class, you know you're not doing it right, and that is absolutely untrue. Um, So for students, that's not what should go into it. That is not the work you should have to put in emotionally. you have to be able to sustain performance. You have to be able to be trustworthy in terms of what you can bring every night. And if you're know if you being asked to put yourself in that vulnerable position, um, it's not fair to you. And you're being put in a position to not be able to be necessarily a partner that's going to be able to create with a group if it, every night depends on you invoking trauma yeah. in an unhealthy way to, to get through a performance. Um, But then, yeah, but including teachers in that discussion and saying, like, I hear you, I hear why you think this is the right thing to do. Um, Let's re-examine that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's a very entrenched way of thinking, um, particularly on the acting side of things,
2: where Mm -hmm. if... I mean,
0: not saying that everyone who goes into theater has experienced... trauma, trauma, like capital T trauma in their lives, but like we we have all gone through things in our lives and being asked to revisit those is not sustainable as the foundation for a practice. And especially one that is, you know, at the most extreme of its um, existence, asking for you to do that eight times a week reliably for a paycheck, because our art is also our job, <laughs> um, and there are other ways. <laughs> and um, you know, I, I think that system's holding on real, real tight to this idea.
1: And I think that's why I'm like, it. It doesn't mean you're any like. It, it means you're like, um, you have much more longevity as an artist if you can yeah. do away with or like uh, we had talked about earlier. Um, you know, people if they're is value if, an, if a teacher finds real value in, in exploring and methodologies that explore, peop, you know, actor's past. I don't think an actor's past at all affects how their performances like could come out. I think that you can, you know, you don't need to pull from trauma. You can, you're an actor, you can figure, you can like learn how to act um, that, but also like offer, you know, if there is value in it, if it's a, a practice you want to get into, offer mental health services with equal, important to work with the counselor at your school or your college um, to be available to be to have a session with the students after any sort of practice. And I think for me, it's even more like, oh, what trauma is going to get you to, you know, yell, I burned dinner most effectively. Um, But instead saying, if this scene work that we're doing, and the content you're delivering does invoke some of these memories for you, or does put you back in a place of personal Trauma or personal experience. How are you going to take care of yourself through that? How are you going to get out of that? How are you going to deal with that? Yeah. Um, so yeah, for me, it's like it's more like the opposite of if that happens, if you experience that, making sure that you're safe and okay and processing and have access to to healthcare, um, yeah. especially as a student, is like paramount. It's so important. Um, and I've had teachers who have taken extreme advantage of that and not offered that and then disclosed to me really tragic outcomes that performers have had because of of methodologies that this teacher found exciting, that created exciting, unpredictable performances um, but caused actors immense harm. And that was something that was a price to pay as I was educated. I was told in high school to lose weight for a role in high school to lose weight for a role um, because it was considered like a sexy character. (laughs) And I, the weight I had according to for some <laughs> like was not going to fit that mold. And I'm like, well, why was I told to lose weight? And not that all sorts of bodies can be desirable. Why were we not dismantling mm-hmm. that ideology? Why are we not celebrating, you know, the body I had as a body that could be romantic and and you know yeah. worthy of that track. And instead of being like, well, you can only do that if you're going to lose weight. The damage that had on me was extreme. And that came, you know, not just from theater from all sorts of angles. Um in terms of how my body was treated and discussed by many people by peers and adults um but i think that there's no circumstance that a teacher should tell a student to lose weight and not only that that there's no body type that should be excluded from a kind of role yeah. um we talk about that a lot from trans angles like cast trans people in heroic and romantic roles it doesn't you don't even have to acknowledge like it doesn't you're not Sometimes you are making that role trans. Sometimes it's just a trans person playing that role. Both are great. Okay, as long as the actor is comfortable and respected. Um, But I think there's, for some reason in this business, I think a lot of what we say is true of a lot of businesses. I think a lot of businesses expect, you know, this kind of like eat shit when you're young attitude. A lot of this. I think theater especially puts an emphasis on extra stuff, including body and weight and certainly other performative Perform- performance industries do that well. <laughs> to different degrees of extreme, some more extreme than theater. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I think that I, I, I understand if that's what you were taught, that that's what you're going to perpetuate, but stop and examine why we're, you're talking about an artist's body in um, in reference to the kind of roles they can play and the mm-hmm. kind of likability they can access it's very disturbing <laughs>
0: it is it really is especially like it's disturbing blanketly but especially when we're talking about educationally like as someone who has taught a lot of young people over the years that is a conversation that i've heard over and over and over in casting rooms and sometimes even just in class spaces and it, it's gross every time. Like that is not something we should be telling people. Uh, and, and I understand why it's there. It's part of our larger society. Like it's it's not a, this is not a problem that theater created, but it is taking a lot of the problems that already exist around us and just saying, hey, we're going to do all these at once. Good luck and stick to the system. But we we can do better.
2: We and, have to do better.
1: And it unfortunately takes looking back and going, uh, you know, for educators, for professionals who've been in the industry a long time going, oh um, yeah, unfortunately this was handled in this way while I was working in this space or while I was being educated in this space. And that is what I absorbed and that's what I thought was true. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't, you know, that's why I said that's showbiz. It doesn't have to be the way that it works and it's so right. much healthier. And my favorite example of, you know, trauma-based uh, performance discussion is the Joker or Joker, the movie Joker versus this Billy on the Street sketch with Julianne Moore, which was, you know, mm. Joker. We hear about all the different, actually different people playing the Joker throughout history about all of the, you know, work they do to disappear into the character and traumatize their, their like, castmates and and stuff like that. And that's, you know, edgy and exciting versus this Billy on the edgy and exciting versus this Billy on the street sketch where he takes Julianne Moore around um or Billy Eichner takes Julianne Moore around as like a person in Times Square that you can give a dollar to and if you give a dollar to her she'll deliver a monologue from one of her movies from a note card and it's a comedy sketch but the monologues are from some of her <laughs> heavier films and he'll think you know they'll give her a dollar as this joke and she'll deliver a monologue and snap into it in this beautiful place, emotional place, she can get there, she can access it, she can do a really stunning Oscar-worthy performance, and then snap right back out of it, and be in that sketch, and be in that comedy moment, and be back to herself, Mm
3: -hmm. and I'm
1: like, that is so healthy, no one got traumatized, she has proved that she understands the, you know, the job of acting, the craft of acting, and not interweaving it with with who she is and not you know distressing other people I am not trying to talk shit about actors who do that I am just expressing certainly to educators that that you can do it that you can snap in and out of it with the right tools and that is I think the healthiest way to do it and should absolutely be the goal um and and yeah personal trauma should not come into the sphere Billy on the Street, Julianne Moore's sketch really did a lot for me in terms of resources for educators.
0: Hey, it, it's And it's a great sketch. If if you have not seen that video, friends, definitely go watch it. It is worth it. It's also just a delightful sketch. It's great. Very good. Also Billy on the Street. Good stuff. The, yeah, the, well, first and foremost, our jobs as actors are not to re-traumatize ourselves. So, like, Let's just throw that out there. Blanketly speaking, that is not a part of our job. So taking care of your trauma personally. Yeah, I will always say, do the work you need to do that fits best for you as an individual. But yeah, what you just said, it's not to bring trauma into the space. That's not our job. That's not anywhere in the description. Our job is to take stories and tell them. And tell them as authentically as we are able to. And that's,
1: that's it. (laughs) And I think calling it like a work hazard that so much emotionality, the real life emotion can get into that is maybe extreme. Because I think when we, you know, want to be artists, when we pursue that, we are acknowledging that we're going to step into spaces. It's unavoidable to be affected, I think, in many ways by the work that you're doing. Like I said, it it should work the other way where you prepare yourself to take care of it rather than expect it to be part of the job but like you know when I was I was writing a musical about a young person who was thinking about taking their life and my understanding was I should be deep in it I should understand that I should be um you know I should take that on emotionally to be able to tell that story and the reality was no I should not have taken on emotionally I should not have thought that I should take on emotionally what that person was going through um and thankfully I did realized it was affecting my day to day and I was mm. letting it kind of creep into everything that I was doing and I got therapy. I went to therapy. Um and ultimately, you know, I was writing that story to express, you know, I was using it as oh well it's theater and oh I'm allowed to feel this way in theater. But really I had some stuff I needed to work through. That was an instance of, you know, navigating am I telling this story because it's a story? Am I telling the story because it's something I need to express within myself yeah. and asking myself that question and exploring that question. And ultimately yeah like I I was using that piece um, to work through stuff that I needed to work through in my own life that actually Mm -hmm. was not helpful to work through it with. Um, And and then I got got some help. And then ultimately I realized that I had some of those feelings because I needed to transition and it did not have anything to do with that show. But then I was able to return to that show having dealt with the stuff I went through and look at it through a much healthier lens, not feeling, not getting into that mindset. Mm. and be able to see a path for finishing it, not relating as closely as I thought I had to to that character. And that's why I look at nice. longevity, as being like, I was not able to work on it when I thought I was doing everything as, as gritty as I needed to, to be involved in it. Um, and we hear that a lot about medication. And that's a complicated topic. And I'm not going to speak on how everyone needs to handle that. But for me, I had this, I can't take medication, it will affect my art, when in reality, for me, for the person that I am individually, um, medication has helped me to have a space in my brain to do the art
2: mm-hmm. when I'm
1: not on it I am not able I get very I'm not able to create it's not more authentic it's not edgier it, it's it's not any less uh, my storytelling is not any less exciting or valid when I'm taking care of myself and I right. very you know I'm not shocked that that's the expectation that if you don't take care of yourself your art will be more valuable it's the it's totally the opposite <laughs> like I <laughs> yeah
0: yeah we we have ugh, we have put taken this idea of the tortured artist, this idea of you have to be in the depths of the most awful human experiences in order to create art. We have not only placed it on a pedestal we've we've put it as like the pinnacle of what art should be and how creation should work and. I think very slowly this conversation has been coming about of that's so not true. Um, I I very much appreciate uh, Hannah Gadsby's Nanette for calling that out so blatantly um, in a wonderful way. If you, friends, if you have not seen Nanette, go watch Nanette. It is wonderful. It is a brilliant piece. Um, and we need to be talking about this more. Mm-hmm just generally speaking, because we we still see uh, people, I mean, just talking about Broadway for a second, I, I listen to a lot of people who are currently doing work in the Broadway sphere talking about how exhausted they are and how not sustainable the model is just on a personal individual level and take trauma out of the situation for a second and, just the kind of exhaustion that comes from doing the work of putting on a person, a character, and putting on a story. All stories are emotional. That is hard work. That is a heavy lift. And how tough it is to take care of yourself in those spheres. And why why, why are we not discussing this more and making adjustments um, to, to make this more viable?
1: I hate this phrase, but I also love this. I hate and love this phrase equally. And I feel like if you are only watering the garden of your career, um, your own garden will die. You have to water your own. And then if your garden dies, you can't water the garden. of your career. You've lost access to that. You have to water the garden of your life, of your friendships, of your health, of your relationships, of the space outside of your career, the space outside of your education. Like, and you have to create that life for yourself. And then... There's and then the I think the more and more that that garden blossoms, the more and more you can water the other garden. Um, but yeah, I, I feel very strongly about celebrating life outside of the industry. Um, and I didn't do that a lot as a, in my twenties, and I'm very regretful of of pounding the pavement as hard as I did. Um, I mean, I'm not because I'm okay with where I am and I've learned a lot, but. I I did everything I thought I had to do, and it was often very lonely, and it was often very entrenched in a trauma-based mindset. It was often very hateful of my body. Um, and, you know, I'm out of that era of my life. I think substantially a lot of the aftershocks still exist within me, and I continue to work through them, but I don't I don't think I I don't think I gained anything from how much I put in my career. And I think I, you know, I know people can look at it to different degrees and say, well, you got this, this, and this and this, and isn't it wonderful? And I'm not taking those things for granted, but you know, it's the grass is always greener. Like I have I, I have friends who have these incredible, thriving personal lives. And I'm like, I wish I had, I wish I had thought to prioritize that for me. I wish I'd prioritized. Myself and my social life, and it would have been at the expense of my career. And like I said, I kind of know, you know. I I learned what I learned, and I did what I did. But you know, I think looking at someone's accomplishments and you know the cast albums they had or the shows they had is not an indication of um, what it means to be successful or what it means to be happy or what it means to be fulfilled.
2: Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: That. All of that. Um... And I think that the pandemic really brought a lot of this conversation to light in a big way. Um, And to go get on a personal soapbox for a moment, I just fully believe it does not have to be one or the other. And there are better ways to do this, which is why I do what I do and create what I create and have this community beginning that is basically like, you have to be able to acknowledge the struggle and the good, and also do your work and live your life and feel supported and be balanced. And, like, yes, that's a lot of facets, but it's doable. This is not something that has to be one thing or the other thing. As we were so, as was drilled into us, yeah. right? The, these concepts of, well, if you don't have this level of su- success by the time you are at this age, you're never gonna make it. Um.
1: <laughs> I- And that was my view. Like I graduated college at 20. I was working. I was like, I have to do everything now. I have to do everything young. I have to do everything fat. That was not true. It was not accurate. It did not set me up for any sort of better experience. And and when the pandemic happened and that thing that was always what I could distract myself with went away, I had to focus on myself. And that was very, very scary. It continues to be scary. But I, I realized how kind of devastatingly far behind I was in that, and how inaccessible taking care of me felt, and how having no career goal made me feel like I had no purpose, and I had no, when that was not true, and that's still something that I very much am working on, um, you know, because I've moved out of New York, I'm not, you know, I'm not in that space right now, um, And there's, you know, there's a lot of wonderful theater outside New York. The theater I'm doing right now is outside New York. I'm very happy with those spaces. But we're talking about the microcosm of, you know, Broadway as the pinnacle of success Um, and, and trying to crack into that and trying to be part of that and getting close and making that the entire journey of my life, the halting stop on that. Mm-hmm. I've never had before if that's not there how are you going to take care of yourself what do you want health wise what do you want personally what do you want safety what do you want friendship why I'm going like oh, yeah. i never asked myself those questions and that is such such it's not even a massive part of life it's like the core of what life is to yes. those questions and pursue those things <laughs> it's not you know can I get you know, this article on Playbill.com, all due respect to Playbill.com. I hope they also know there that getting an article on Playbill.com is not the pinnacle of life and success. Um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, being
0: a, being a human and living life, this is, that's the, the thing. That's why we're here, right? This is the, the whole point. And then Oh, please. You want to jump in? Go ahead.
1: No, no, no. I I agree with you. I was just, I was agreeing. And I was thinking, you know, I know that there are people who can look at this and say, well, he is, I've had a lot of privilege and a lot of ways to get into the spaces that I've been into. And my family supports, you know, emotionally. And in the moments where I, you know, it was between, do I leave New York because I can't pay rent? Help, you know, help me in that way. And I have to, I have to acknowledge that. And I have to acknowledge that for people who are like, well, of course you can say that because you hit these certain checkpoints in your career. But, I I do feel very genuinely that it is worth saying that I'm I'm grateful for the spaces I was in. I was privileged and lucky in so many ways, but I have to acknowledge the toll that it had on me and, you know, the grass is always greener effect. And I hope that it, it helps people not only, you know, keep wanting to be in theater. It's not the takeaway at all, but also, you know, understand that when you get what you thought you wanted, it doesn't often I think more often than not it doesn't feel like that there's there's a different you know a toll when when you get that show it's not that oh I got the show it's that now everyone's talking about well if the reviews aren't xyz then you know we failed right Mm -hmm. no not that that that's verbatim a conversation I've had but there's always another checkpoint there's always another thing that just makes it impossible to keep up at every stage so acknowledging the privilege and the luck and the experience that I've had and pairing that with I do just so genuinely believe that that I can't only say there's value in other things because I but it's just so important it's so important to know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean watching over the past more than a decade of being here in New York, I am still in New York. The Number of my friends, even before the pandemic, and then all, to a greater extent during the pandemic, who left the business. Mm-hmm. And it's not because they weren't talented or they didn't have what it takes, or it's none of that. It's they made choices to put themselves first as people and decided that with what that looks like for them and what our industry looks like and how it's built, these things didn't match. Yeah. And that's, I'm glad those people had those realizations. I am. But I think I'm sadder that those two things could not have created something that they were interested in at the time of being themselves, being able to take care of themselves, live the life that was healthy and balanced in all the ways they wanted it to be and do the art in the industry they loved.
2: But there's, there has to be a way.
1: That should be the goal. And it's (laughs) it's not to say, you know, oh, well, F Broadway or X,
0: Y, Z. No, no, of course not.
1: The ideal is that we can have all of these things. We can Mm. do that, 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 that hard work that artists and creatives have to do to put those shows up can, is elevated by putting your health and safety in if not higher, because it's, you know, that's good, people are going to fight that. But like on the same the same level of importance, that is important, that we shouldn't be working ourselves to the bone, that the show sometimes can't go on, which we've all learned.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it just sometimes can't. And I, like, I'm yeah. sorry that you can't see the show that night, but it was at the expense of at least one person's health and safety. So it's right. worth it. Um, it's always worth it. The show needs a moment. And that's okay. It's a show. It's an entertainment situation. It's a storytelling moment of bonding and and communication and community. And if people are not safe in doing that, then it's not serving the purpose that it exists to serve.
0: That right there. Yeah. That's, that's the epitome of everything we've been talking about is that we, we are here to connect and be humans in a space together and if we are not allowed to be humans going into that space how could we possibly make that experience happen
1: and you know theater is about in many ways many things but a lot of it is about communicating empathy and you know empathizing with people with experiences and stories outside of your own and sometimes that you have that experience sitting in a show and being challenged to relate to people and experiences and identities you never thought you would relate to, and that's how you receive that, and that's how you, and sometimes it's a little bit of a different experience of having to empathize with a cast that cannot perform that night, and you don't get to see that show, and that exercise in empathy is not by consuming the art, it's by, you know, grappling with your disappointment in a situation so that the health and safety of others is prioritized.
0: Yeah. Um, and we we should be steering that conversation in that direction too, because I mean, how many times during the pandemic did, during the pandemic, I say that like it's over. Um, COVID's still around people. Uh, how many times though, did we see these articles uh, lifting up these people who, the swing went on, who never learned that role to begin with and learned it in two hours so the show could happen. It's like. That's cool. I'm glad that that experience happened. I hope it happened in a very healthy way for everybody involved. But why did we not also celebrate this show took a moment because it was important for everybody involved, audience included.
1: Yeah. And I do want to also acknowledge that I think it's, it's a different conversation, especially right now, that like we're talking about, you know, the ebb and flow of shows in terms of mental health, then in terms of like accessibility in that way, but also like there's a totally different conversation about the stories that are not allowed to be told and the artists that are not allowed to, you know, be on stage and be in performance in extreme ways because of accessibility issues. Not even issues, issues is, a, is a light word for that, like major yeah. accessibility um <laughs> problem like in theater that that um that it is not an industry that's conducive to a lot of people to even be able to tell the story. And that when you keep the expectations of this like high stress, high physical sacrifice, your health, you know, it's hard for people who have the capacity to perform that way. And it's completely impossible impossible in many ways for people who don't have the capacity, but equally whose stories we need to hear. And so Mm -hmm. when we uphold that model of, you know a pound the payment 100% you know it's it's exclusionary fundamentally of people who you know who don't have the option to to do that who don't have who cannot who cannot follow that model we don't get to hear their stories and how awful is that and if we just shifted the expectations in the model we'd have access to infinitely more stories infinitely more artists work with just a, a hair more um understanding of what theater could be instead of what theater has always been. Yeah. Yes.
0: And we need those stories. We need to hear more, so much more.
1: But it's so scary to um, be challenged. (laughs) It (laughs) is. so many people. (laughs) It is, you know, know, it's it's something that a lot of people want to go to art to enjoy the show. Mm -hmm. And art has such power in absorbing another person's experience. Yeah. Um, and connecting to another person's experience and it's not always super super fun. <laughs> like true. and that's true that's a very good point and also goes to
0: speaks to some of the stuff that we were talking about earlier with um the way things have quote-unquote always been done and that show business kid those sorts of models that still exist educationally and professionally and taking the moment to examine those things it's not a comfortable experience i think that is worth putting out there to the world like you do have to make a decision to make a choice that's harder in order to do that um but I I would hope that for the sake of yourself and for the sake of not doing harm to others, that is a conversation you'd like to have with yourself.
1: Yeah, and when we explore things like like you know like these such these common phrases of theater work are so damaging. Like when you look at all deeper, like when we explore, you know, you'll never work in this town again. Right. Um, you know, I think the typical angle of that for certainly for me I'm sure for others not for everyone but I'm sure for others is you know the reaction to that is well I shouldn't ever say anything when I'm in an uncomfortable position I have to play this game as it exists and that is the reaction whereas the reaction should be people should not wield the power to shut an artist down if they say something or behave in a way that that individual person with power does not like yes you'll never work in this town again is a reflection of the person who said that right and not you know and we're talking about that in in the spaces of actor vulnerability um and actor safety being challenged and not you know people who are unsafe to work with not working in this town again um yes you know they that's a different conversation but it is often used as a power play against people who are just trying to seek um better conditions
0: absolutely yeah and we've we've seen this happen time and time again i think over the past year and a half as as people have begun to speak up a bit more about their experiences Having some of the blowback be in that realm of, well, <laughs> then get out sort of a feeling. But um, I I continue to have hope that these conversations develop in a better way, in a more positive way, in a more productive way, and that um, we begin to figure out other ways to do things that live outside of the system as currently is.
1: And I think that there's a generation of of people now coming into theater who already know all these things who already have all these ideologies. And you know, I, but I do still think that Broadway, in educational circles, probably even for some of these younger people, exists as the top of the pyramid mm-hmm. in a way that it is just one facet. And I think that it's so it's so hard. and I don't have answers for when you are training in this business. And there's that realization that it's not going to change as fast as you want it or that an empowering speech does not change the way it works. And you know, no one's going to be able to champion it, champion it into being a healthier business at this moment right now. And then moving forward, how do I deal with that? Because I want to be in theater. I want my career to be theater. I want to be working in this space. There's so many incredible people. So many of them have power. There's so many wonderful people in the business. So many work, many wonderful people. But you know, the systems are not set up to be financially sustaining. And sure. you know, as you' as you're balancing out, you know, how can I live this dream of being in theater but also stay healthy? Um I, I like I said, I, I think that it's this complicated balance of opening the door to the idea that occasionally not pursuing theater and occasionally, you know, putting that aside, certainly having another job. I I don't know any theater artists. Certainly, no who doesn't have another job. Like it's everyone has another job. Like you cannot yeah. you cannot afford. My show was off Broadway. That was maybe going to pay for expenses in New York for two and a half months. Like maybe, like like that's fine. That is not a sign of failure. Everyone it has one. But also being like, if I step away from theater, it's not a failure. It right. doesn't mean done with theater if i'm taking some time to assess what success looks like versus what i thought it looks like versus fulfillment what i thought like navigating all of that doesn't mean that you're stepping away from the business or it doesn't mean that you're like giving up on your dreams it's just figuring out that that success in theater and fulfillment and storytelling and creative collaboration um can look like many 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 different things yes it's not it's not broadway in a lot of those cases and that shouldn't be the expectation that shouldn't be the educational expectation
3: yes
1: um you know I've had just I, I look back at these experiences I've had in a room with friends in college and that was some the most fun I had and I want to go back to that yeah. I know it's not financially sustainable it's disappointing but I'm assessing now and I'm working through what I want out of my creative career and my storytelling mm-hmm. and it's you know those moments were worth it to me to yeah you know, put the other pieces together in my life to continue to try to pursue that feeling in as financially sustainable a way without sacrificing my health and safety, without sacrificing my values, while still making sure that I am listening to people who, you know, the industry has failed in much greater ways than myself Mm. and making sure that I'm continuing to make sure that whenever I'm in a room, um, I'm going to advocate as much as I can for the changes in this industry, even when I know it's easier and safer for me to keep my mouth shut and and do the work and yeah. do what I'm told at the expense of other people and people who are excluded from the spaces entirely. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I'll I'll take a moment here to just pinpoint on something that you've you've mentioned several times now, which is uh, financial viability or stability. Our entire industry is not financially viable. Top to bottom, plain and simple, Broadway's model really isn't sustainable financially. And we know that in our brains. Um And yet we haven't quite figured out how to navigate this yet, but it, it is something that's true top down, which means that no matter where you are in terms of level of the work you're creating, you still need to figure that out for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I I will always ask people to have that examination of themselves in their lives and see, because like whether you're you're doing an eight eight shows a week on Broadway or whether you are doing a small reading of a new musical of something that like your friend wrote, it, it's the same thing. You still need the balance, no matter where you are and what you're doing. Um, and I also want to throw out there uh, a student of mine said something that was interesting this last week or the week before that was about <laughs> the financial um viability or lack thereof of the Broadway model which was they made the observation that before the pandemic in the quote-unquote resurgent golden age of Broadway we had some shows out there that were doing some of of the work that maybe the system doesn't ask it to do Mm -hmm. but that since re the reopening (laughs) we haven't quite had any of those shows because the focus has been on things that are money-making or at least have what they think is the best shot of money-making and it's shifted the artistic landscape even here.
1: I mean, and, and when we are seeing those shows get some faith, like Strange Loop, which won Best Musical, which is an extraordinary show and is, you know, and and the Pulitzer less than a year, um, and what I think that says is, why can't? I mean, there obviously there's answers why, and I know there are people who are working on this, who are producers on Broadway, who are excited and energized and interested in dedicating themselves to changing this landscape. So they exist, mm-hmm. but like, can Broadway be a place where it can financially sustain those ticket sales for *Strange Loop* and that like functionality, you know, at a different degree than what it needed to? stay on Broadway
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know can we facilitate different you know levels of sellability at this high of a level of um, knowing a show exists like PR <laughs> like can that exi- can we give that coverage and that PR and that celebration to shows that are gonna sell at a different rate than Wicked and Lion King yeah like can we figure that model out yeah so I pose that question I know it's it's complicated. I know people are like, no, and I know why. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) I don't know why. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying that out loud.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, someone pointed this out to me a few years ago, which I don't know why my brain never thought about it this way. But we, here in New York, we talk about Broadway, we talk about off-Broadway, we talk about off-off-Broadway. And those are very distinctly different things, almost like they exist on three different Manhattans. Um, whereas, uh, West End Theater, it, it's not like you're confined to these blocks in these mm-hmm. theater venues. It's, it's, if it's there and it's in London is it's up and it's running, it is West End Theater. And like, we don't do that, but we could so easily. <laughs> I'm <laughs> like,
1: thrilled for that.
0: <laughs> wouldn't that be wonderful where we don't, like stride it and try to squeeze everything into this this square hole
1: yeah because things can get the coverage and the care that broadway shows get while not having that but having that budget or that need to sell that many tickets like like why can't we just like turn the spotlight on some of those shows because what happens with those shows is you know sometimes that does happen but then those shows go to broadway well they don't do they have to that's been dangerous for a lot of shows when they get that success off broadway and then Move to Broadway and then don't have that same sellability on that scale. Like, c- can we celebrate shows at that level? Can can not being on Broadway be a reason to to celebrate a show and, and pump yes. up a show and let it succeed? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess we see that with like Sleep No More and stuff like that. So it's very possible to do that with Sleep No More again, a massive show, <laughs> very large budget. But it, yeah, it is it is possible. But it I think.
0: There, there's a, a question I ask of my students when when they're talking to me, like my writing students, when they talk to me about their shows, which is, I always ask them, where do you want this show to go? Like, what is in your mind, the, the top tier of landing point for what you, the work you want your show to do? And so often the answers I get from people is like, Actually I think I want this to live as like a, a an educational tour or I want it to have a short off-Broadway run so we can get that album made and then just like it's licensing and getting the album out there it's like great great these are these are other ve- ways to do this and they're viable and then it like I think about so I've been on t- TikTok over the past like I don't know 10 9 10 months it's it's an interesting world out there. It's delightful, but one of the people I follow, uh, he is, oh, what's his handle? Uh, your musical dealer, I think is what it is. And he talks about all these shows, and he he finds them through their albums. And some of them have never had any sort of "quote unquote" big production. But it's like there are ways to get the stuff
1: out there. Um and I hope that I sound antiquated in my like, being like, I was educated that Broadway was the tippy top. And regardless of that, whether or not, like that is the financial sustainability. So, you know, when you're looking at that, that's still unavoidable, but yeah, I hope that, that people, and I, I got there eventually, like the first two shows I did, I was like, better get these to Broadway um, or like, oh, Broadway and bust. But then I started writing concert musicals. I started writing shows I could put up easily low budget that, you know, the money could go into paying people and not the set, like stuff like that. And they carry two, <laughs> which is entirely a staged reading as it is as a show um, and and so that became more I was like oh yeah I just want to be telling stories I just want to be out there with my friends doing this work and getting as, as far as we can to reach people because we like what we're saying but I think TikTok has definitely changed the game on that the thing for me that I struggle with with TikTok is that as a as a writer who's not a performer it's not a medium that I enjoy creating for but it is such a pipeline now because i think a lot of writers have to perform their own work and have to have that ability to present it in a way and it's just not i tried that and i pushed myself into that and ended up writing a play about how catastrophic that was for me um well that is not what that play is going to seem like it was it was very influenced by um it's it's a very a horror piece (laughs) And and so that's you know it spoke to well this new medium arose and i I can't meet this expectation in terms of performance, so I'm a failure. Blah blah blah, and then being like, no, right. no, it's fine. You're, it's just not the medium for you. I do sure. I do long form storytelling. I don't have a ring light. I don't have you know. I don't have that capability to do the film. Or, and I think it's incredible when people can, and those skills are so valuable. Um, and it's something that I put some energy into, and went, well, I could put a lot more energy into this. And I don't like presenting this way.
2: Right. Yeah. Or
1: I can just go back to the work that I do and, you know, not be, not be jealous of people who are succeeding in that way. Like sometimes, you know, my inclination is to be with full honesty. But being like, we're all creating in different ways. And I just wish there was more of a pipeline for artists who are not able to perform and produce their own work Sure, yeah, in that landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, but I celebrate a lot of what it's doing. And I think it has made some musical theater stuff, you know, very exciting and accessible. And the accessibility of it is really, really great. Yeah, um, I think I think theater, you know, the video conversation is complicated, but it is. being Fair, able to make yeah. these shows not so exclusive and and available to people across the world and country, um, is just of immense value. Yeah, and I wish that that model existed for shows as they closed. You know, as you know, if we to to record a show when it closes and release it and give people, you know, you don't have to do it while it's running. But then people so,
0: have- I am of the camp and I think it actually sells more tickets when you release a pro show when it's running. but
1: yeah, it seems you know, complicated. It requires more money. It requires you know, different so. stuff with actors equity. but yeah, how exciting to get the work to people. It's about getting the work to people. It's about reaching people with the stories. And I'm so sad. I think I'm so sad about the stories that I'm not able to see and I have a lot of privilege and access to things and I still can't see so much and a lot of that I think is work from artists who either the business is built to shut out Mm -hmm. for whatever accessibility reason um, or artists who looked at that that's showbiz kid take what you get model and said no I'm not going to do that and artists who walked away from that I'm desperate to consume their work (laughs) I'm like desperate for the stories of people who chose to prioritize their health and mental health and personal lives and safety like i want that I art know. so badly but they didn't play the game and we don't get that art yeah. because they, they put themselves first in that way um and it's not you know it's not the people who don't it's not a reflection i you know i didn't and tons of good work is coming from people who don't, you know, it's just 10, it's just also that experience of whose work are we missing out on? Because they did say, Hey, I actually can't be in this business anymore. Yeah. In the way that it's set up to excuse abuse. Um, and something that was very interesting, you know, there's a big conversation right now about, uh, let's just keep it to, you know, when you're performing, do you give a hundred percent or not? And what does that mean? Um, and I, you know, I was, a, am you know, in the camp of, you can't possibly give a hundred theater nor should you or can you it's just not a thing that's possible and someone had commented and and you know that it is the idea that it is just a job that it is your job it is a career it is a job in the way you know that when you are in the game of life, you have your job card, you have your car, like it's the job card. That's what it is. It's not, it's not your car. Your it's not your fan. It's not your, it's not your other cards you pull. Um. But then someone commented that you know that can sound reductive to people who have tried, and that's where you know people are like, well, that's you know I have that dream and I didn't get it, so it sounds reductive. It sounds like people are taking it for granted. Um. To say it's just a job, it's not the be all end all. But I'm like, it's actually it's helpful. It's it's only helpful for those people too mm-hmm. to insinuate that. Because if you make it to be all end all and someone's not getting to that level or that's not going to be a part of their career, what help is it just to act like it's the yeah. pinnacle of everything? Yeah. It's only helpful to say no, it is a version of theater. It is a type of contract you get. It's unfortunate that it's the most financially viable one because it is very hard to access. It's very exclusive. Yes. And a lot of the pathways are include abuse to various degrees. Yeah. But it is one version of a theatrical experience and and job and career and you can create that in so many other ways and it doesn't help anyone to be like oh you know what never mind yeah that is you know that is going to hurt people who didn't get there it is it is everything broadway never mind broadway is everything <laughs>
2: it's mm-hmm.
1: yeah it's not true and it's not healthy for anyone it's not healthy for the people who are on broadway it's not healthy for the people who, for whom that's not going to be a part of their career
2: right
1: yeah
0: yeah Oh.
1: the person who I said that to I did agree with and, and respond, you know, in, in, in the delightful response of discourse to that. So it was not, you know, fight for anything. <laughs> it was just pointing out another side to it and why people might react painfully to discussing Broadway in that way. Um, and in breaking down, you know, and taking away the dream aspect of it and exploring it as a career that has issues. Um, and, you know, it was more about that and having mm-hmm. that discourse than fighting about it. So I appreciated that. <laughs>
0: And I always appreciate when discourse is good like that. Yeah, good's such a reductive word, my apologies, but um, is done in that healthy way.
1: discourse on Twitter.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Rare. (laughs) It is. It's asking a lot of a platform that's built to do the opposite, but that's for another day.
1: Um, People people finding one tweet and deciding they know your entire life story and character. (laughs) mm, (laughs) Okay, sure, sure, that's who I am. Okay
0: oh well um so i my apologies for this
1: oh i can't hear anything oh, your, your zoom is doing a really good job of your mic you know being at you
0: nailing it nailing it um should we do some some ender questions for today i would love that
2: so so i'm curious because
0: you do you do a lot of writing in various forms. What's your favorite non-writing activity?
1: See, this was so hard for me until the pandemic. <laughs> because I was like, if it's not gonna be, if it's not of value, if it's not of career success, it's not something that is important for my life. <laughs> and if I if I can't make a money out of it, if I can't make success out of it, why would I even do it? Um yeah. I really like. I'm like, I like seeing movies right now. I'm doing a lot of that for myself, which is still within the scope of my career. Um, I really like, also, I, like, I take very long walks. I will go on like two hour walks. I live by the lake. I stayed in Chicago, honestly, largely because I, I like the city. I like the space. I like the rent, but I love living by the lake. And there's, you know, this this pathway um on Lake Shore that goes, all the way down the city down you know from one of the top north neighborhoods all the way down and I live by that now and I can just walk that and put on some music and I I'm, I'm right now I'm not even listening to music as much. I'm just like absorbing the world because usually I'd be like, oh, I'm gonna put on, you know, a playlist I made based on this character or this story, and I'm going to devise the story while I walk, and that will make this walk valuable, and that will give me purpose during this walk, and I'm like, no, don't, don't, look at the birds, like, look at the (laughs) lake, look at the water, look at the people, and that is new for me, but I, I really love that, like, I have playlists now that are just for me, and are not for characters and stories, Um, because I am, like, Not unfortunately, I work in something that I love and it's so hard to keep loving it. I love music. I love, I I need it, I need it so much. It's a huge part of my coping mechanisms and I want it to stay, you know, I want it to stay in a world where I can listen to it and not feel stressed out. And I'm starting to be able to do that. But also I'm very good at Beat Saber. I'm shockingly good at Beat Saber. Um, So I've been really disappearing into that. I really lose myself. I just beat Sandstorm on expert, which is a really big accomplishment. for me.
0: I don't know anything about it, but I'm I, I applaud you.
1: <laughs> Congratulations to me for beating Sandstorm on expert. Yeah.
0: Um. I ah, the walk. Yeah. There's nothing like a good walk. Uh, I know a lot of people have recently taken to making fun of the phrase "touch grass," but I I, I it's important.
1: Love a touch grass moment.
0: Go go to nature. We love her.
1: There's a little nature walk like by my house. It's like it's still a very like city-based area. I live in a city. The nature walks are where they are. It's so funny that they're like this is the nature walk. And it's like this tiny square of trees and like this little like bird sanctuary. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is glorious. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the size of a warehouse.
0: In <laughs> cities, we will take what we can get. Honestly. And Run with it. I can't um,
1: I don't know how to I don't know how to drive anymore. I can't drive to anywhere more wood woodlandy. I get what I get.
0: <laughs> oh I, I hear that. I I feel very lucky to live in such an accessible city yeah. where I can get to nature if I need to. Not that I do enough. I don't, but I could. <laughs> um, okay, so. Is there a story that you know you really want to tell that you have not been able to yet or um haven't even started tackling yet?
1: Just- um so so many. I have done I've done a lot of stories I care deeply about. Some of them are I hopefully in pipelines, some of them are in pipelines, and then that falls through, and then I get set. Um but I think for this, the thing that jumps to mind for this is something that I've been told kind of to back burner. And I'm like, oh, that's such a bummer. because I'm um, And I wrote an outline for like a really basic outline. I'm trying to figure out if there's a world for it. It was about, it's a little, it's very much like Home Alone. Um, it's about a, and it would either be like a film or like maybe a six episode, like Christmas mini series um, about um, some siblings who take their tr- young trans sibling who's not able to be out. At you know her grandparents, where they go for Christmas, uh, you know, they steal the car and go to New York and have their own Christmas where she's able to be out, and they all have something you know that they've been that they want to you know express about themselves that they're unable to, and kind of these young people who step away from this more antiquated oh. ideology and just kind of have a good time um but you know and and i my, my team encourages trans stories. it's you know, it's more me who's like I'm gonna put, I would put my heart into this mm. and into this story of this 10-year-old trans girl and celebrating a trans child. And do I want to begin that journey of putting my heart into this, knowing that right now um, it's going to be very hard for production companies to take a risk on the story of a trans child because of the um, very incorrect lies that are being spread about the community and, and the words that could be thrown at those companies for supporting trans children. Right. So I hope that I can find that future for this piece because I love okay. writing a Christmas movie, um, and I would really love to do this. And I liked my outline a lot, and I really believed in it. So we'll see. We'll see if I can get my my Home Alone trans film. Ooh, but pardon me. Yeah. Uh,
0: um, my fingers are crossed for that because that sounds amazing, and I want that.
1: <laughs> um, I yeah, I mean, we'll see. I have a meeting next week where I'm going to try to. But I also wrote I wrote a Christmas movie, that was. Oh, this is complicated. If people stayed this long, it's fine. Um, <laughs> where it's very much about it's it's small, it's nuanced. It's about uh, a, a cis straight woman who does not like Christmas, um, and she lives next to this trans guy. Her neighbor is a a trans man who is unable to decorate his apartment because he just got top surgery and she helps him decorate his apartment and he loves Christmas and he loves the spirit of it and she's very hateful of it. And, you know, it turns out that her hatred of it has a lot to do with how her family treated her gay brother who has passed away and her association of Christmas and, and some of the religiousness of that family with really negative things. But his love of Christmas and his love of that spirituality even being trans and being disconnected from his family um, and how they kind of come together to create their own kind of spiritual landscape. And what I maybe should have realized was we're at a place where I think in film, especially, you know, we're watching people who are considered very, you know, conventionally attractive, you know, often like we're watching white, cis, gay people get six more success if you know and, and still struggle in a film um you know following models that are tracking models that we're very familiar with that explore similar themes and so, and so writing a film that is meant to kind of comment on that when we're still not even able to have the representation where we're just existing within it yeah really like exploring how queerness is portrayed in Christmas movies. I'm not sure we're there yet because we don't have enough queer Christmas movies to even like just enjoy, to just have the Christmas romance. And I see it from both I think both should be able to exist. I would love to have this film that is candid about the queer experience, but I also understand that sometimes you just want the gay version of it. And there actually, there's a lot of um, really exciting and queer and diverse Christmas movies that have the stream. So a lot was a. not the right word, but there are some there are some that exist, yes, uh, the streaming world is kinder to the community and to diversity. um absolutely kinder is a is still maybe not the word for it. <laughs> but uh, we'll see. I mean, I get it. I'm not gonna sit here and be like it's not it's not enough that the stories we are seeing are still in very conventional and very acceptable um forms because it's good to have them because we don't we don't have them right we don't have you know love simon was monumental and that was you know the story of two very hot people falling in love that you know audiences were very i think comfortable watching that not even not even it got i think it got protested still and you know it was yeah you know it's a that's a whole other complicated conversation Yes, it is. We want to support queer art in forms where queer people are just having the time of their life. Yeah. And the genre and chopping the tree down while their hot neighbor brings them a mug of cocoa. And we want queer art that deconstructs queerness in spaces yes, where has not been accepted and is not welcome. Um, all of the, the multitudes that we can contain. Um, it, and I'm celebrating the artists who are doing those things and the producers who are funding those things and the creatives who are believing those things. Three cheers for them. They exist. They're out there.
0: And cheers for you for these stories that you are writing and I'm sure we'll continue to write. And we need them and we want them. And you know, I will continue to hope for the best for you and your projects here. Thank you, um, so thank you for spending time today doing this conversation. This is wonderful. You're wonderful. I love everything
1: that you do. And one time, um, I, we're technically, one time I did a three-hour podcast on only Carrie the musical. Really? So we're coming in really under time for- Wow.
0: My God, I'll, I'll have just, to have you back then. Let's chat more.
1: So I can go three hours on Carrie. I think we even had to cut ourselves on. I love
0: <laughs> Carrie. Uh, <laughs>
1: That's uh, Carrie and Mama Mia, here we go again.
0: You this, this is a conversation for another day absolutely we will be back we'll be back with this convo i can promise you um where should the people find you preston if they do not already follow you which is a travesty if they don't oh
1: they are welcome to find me anywhere on at preston max allen uh that's my instagram It's my twitter um my website that has a lot of my videos it's PrestonMaxAllen.com. um and yeah i'm there chilling out often often talking about this stuff talking about Mm -hmm. theater um you know candid candidly and honestly and absorbing people who are doing the same yes um
0: absolutely I will have all those in the description below for the people you will be able to just click click through and please do follow Preston I mean it is a joy to follow Preston also if you really like hero content if you haven't had enough hero today
1: still she's sleeping now
0: Oh, what an angel! We there's plenty of hero also on press and social media. So.
1: And also, I do recommend if if you are willing to Google anything, the press release, the Broadway World press release for the uh, the concert I produced with with a wonderful team called A Place for Us, celebrating trans, non-binary musical theater. If you look at all those names, of all those artists and those writers, it's an incredible group of people to be aware of. And those people have other lists of incredible people to be aware of. Um, so very much, I would say, uh, you know, if if you are so inclined, Google that, find those folks, and follow them as well. I will
0: find that link and I will put it in the description oh, as well. Yeah. Absolutely, I am always happy to to help get more names of people out in the world who everyone should know. So thank you for mentioning that. And um, my goodness, the the extent of your your Um, artistry your brain your knowledge but also your heart is um, something that I really celebrate and I'm just so happy that anyone who did not know you who's listening to this um, got the opportunity to meet you at least a little bit so thank thank you you once again for being here
1: thank you for creating um this space to feel like I can talk in such a friendly and candid way I think artists like you and cats like hero are the reason that I am still (laughs) (laughs) functioning
0: (laughs) Well, I am honored to be put on the same level as Hero, so thank you for that. (laughs) So uh, thank you all for being here with us today. Like, subscribe, do all the things, and uh, we'll catch you next time in the next interview. All right, everyone. Bye. Thank you all for being here with me today, and I'll see you again soon. Cheers.